Broadcasting live from the Pro Business Channel studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Capital Club Radio, brought to you by Flock Specialty Finance. Please welcome your host, Chairman and CEO, Michael Flock. Good afternoon, and, and welcome to Capital Club Radio. Today, we're going to depart a little bit from our tradition of speaking with entrepreneurs in the financial services industry to speaking with someone who's an inspirational leader in the residential real estate community of Atlanta and in the Southeast. This woman started with no formal training, and she started actually in 1968. And with no formal training, although she sold the most Girl Scout cookies ever in the state of Georgia. (laughs) She developed a spectacular track record in residential real estate by building two successful companies in a... There's nothing better for your health than good sleep. That's why Haverty's Furniture has partnered with the Scott Brothers to offer Scott Living Mattresses, now $250 off. Expect no pressure, just support from the Haverty Sleep Experts. Tap now or visit Haverty's.com. Atlanta. One, she started in 1988. And she's going to tell us about how she started that with Kim King, a very important person, well-known businessman and figure in sports in in the Atlanta community. She's going to talk about that. She sold that one in 2001. It was called Jenny Pruitt Associates. She sold it to Berkshire Hathaway. Everyone knows what company that is. And when her contract expired in 2006, she and her son-in-law, David Maybig, opened another one called Atlanta Fine Homes and Sotheby's International Realty. Today, the company's 400 agents are among the most accomplished real estate professionals in Atlanta, with more than $2.4 billion in sales in 2016. Jenny is one of the most visionary real estate leaders in the country. Got so many awards, I don't have time to go through them all today, but I think the two most important ones that she's most proud of, I think, are being an inductee of the Business Hall of Fame at Georgia State, as well as the Four Pillar Award here in Atlanta. And she's committed to helping Atlanta maintain its exceptional quality of life and culture, is active with the Habitat of Humanity. She's also on the board of directors of the Metro Atlanta Chamber of Commerce. She recently published her first book, Beneath His Wings, the story of her spiritual journey. But today, we want to learn how Jenny built her businesses and how she dealt with adversity throughout her life. And, you know, she has a saying, you know, it takes two valleys to make a mountain. And so she's going to discuss some of the valleys that she experienced and what she learned from those experiences and how it actually helped her personally and professionally in her long and very successful career. So welcome today, Jenny Pruitt. We are delighted to have you here, and we're so honored you could spend some time with us. So take us back to 1988. You had had 20 years as a real estate agent, no formal training. You did obviously very, very well, and you had a friend and business partner in Kim King. Could you tell our listeners how you got started with your own company in 1988 and what were those lessons that you learned and how you applied them in your negotiation with Mr. King? Oh, thank you, Michael, and thank you so much for asking me to be a guest and your generous introduction. Thank you. Well, you know, back to 1988 seems like a long time ago, and it really is, but this year I celebrate, or next year I celebrate 50 years in the real estate business. So for the first 20 years, I was an agent for nine years and then a manager for the next 11 years. And I had the most successful office in Atlanta with 90 top agents. And a friend of mine said, 
I have this friend that would like to meet you, and he is interested in starting a residential real estate company, and I want you all to get together and meet. So I first said to myself, no, I didn't really want to do that because I was pretty happy where I was. And I told my husband that that night, and he said, no, I think you should see what opportunity he may offer you. Don't close that door before you check it out. So go have lunch. And I said, well, I know, but it's just wasting time. He said, no, it may not be. You tell him that if he'll put up all the capital, give you 51% ownership and total control, you would consider it. <laughs> and I said, nobody's going to do that. Right. <laughs> so I went to have lunch with him, and they just served the water. It hadn't even looked at the menu, and he said, well, I've done my homework, and uh, you're the bus- person I want to be in business with. So how can we make that happen? Well, I told him those three things, 51% ownership, total capital, total control, and I added a fourth one, that my husband, who has a financial background, would be the CFO. So Kim said to me, and he's, he passed away about five or six years ago with cancer, but uh, he was the best business partner I ever had, and he said to me, well, you know, I've never started a company, bought a company, merged a company, and given away total control and majority ownership. But and put up all the capital. But I've done my homework, and you're the person I want to go in business with. So I say, let's do it. And then I thought, oh, my gosh, now I've got a decision to make. So I almost backed out one time, but I didn't. And thank goodness I didn't, because that was in October of 88. We started the company, and immediately we had 35 top agents with our company. We called it Jenny Pruitt & Associates. And, and he often said to me before he passed away that I was the best investment that he had ever made. So we had buyout rights from him, and so we bought him out. And Was that the fourth one that you were referring to, the four things, the buyout rights? Uh, no, no. The The fourth thing was that my husband would be the CFO. Said, okay. Yes. Because okay, gotcha. I knew okay. you, a lesson there is that, you know, you have to realize what your weaknesses and your strengths are and work towards your strengths. And I knew that my weaknesses would be I couldn't be all things to all people. Right. Marketing, grow the company, you know, be right. the – I like to say that I was a hunter and my husband was a skinner. So I brought home the um, funds to get the company going Mm -hmm. and did all the upfront stuff, and he would make things happen in the back of the house, in the back of the house. So we grew, and we just really became a wonderful company in Atlanta. And then in 2001, well, in 1998 or 99, I think it was, we bought out the 49% that Kim King okay, had. Right. So we were totally, totally uh, in control of the company. And we sold the company in 2001. To Berkshire Hathaway. To Berkshire Hathaway. And I worked out a five-year contract. Now, Jenny, so in 1998, what was your vision, your mission for Jenny Pruitt Associates? How did you create that and define it? The mission was to, well, I've always liked to say that if you care about the people first, the bottom line will come. And so going back to when I was a manager after nine years of being a top sales agent in Atlanta, the first company I was with made me the first female manager they had. And so quite quickly, actually, we became uh, the smallest office, but the number one office in their company. And... After I'd been a manager about six months, I was at my church one Sunday, and they were having a mission conference. And something just compelled me that I wanted to go down front and give my life to foreign missions. So I nudged my husband sitting next to me, and he said, well, I don't feel the same calling. So naturally, 
I didn't go down front, but I said to my minister later that week, I said, I really wanted, I really felt that calling from that missionary that was doing the talk. He said, well, you know what, Jenny, you really are in a mission field when you're in the marketplace. And so I want you to think of your business as the platform that the that God has given you to influence those people for the good around you. So I never thought of my business the same anymore. I mm-hmm. thought that he really had given me the gifts and talents I needed mm-hmm. and the opportunities and that I should use them to influence others. And from that, I feel like came my style of leadership, which is servant leadership, meaning leading from the bottom up instead mm-hmm. of the top down, which means that my business partner and I is the CEO and president or at the bottom, and then we lead up to our managers, which lead up to the agents, and mm-hmm. then they lead up at the very top of the mm-hmm. triangle to the client. Okay. And that has served us well. That has served us well because we've created a culture and an environment that's very caring mm-hmm. and that people love. To, it's mm-hmm. like a magnet out there in the marketplace. They are attracted to us, and then we spend our time serving them mm-hmm. and getting what we need to have to happen Mm -hmm. in our company, leading them to achieve great Mm -hmm. success. Mm -hmm. So when they're successful, we're successful. So the culture was part of the secret sauce, maybe, of Jenny Prude Associates, because I don't know that there are that many real estate companies that think that way, that think from leading from the bottom up. And the stickiness, the magnet, you know, as you're saying, is the differentiator. And you're saying it manifests itself through how the agents treat the clients. Could you give us some more examples? Do they spend more time with the client in terms of studying what their needs are, the marketplace they want to get into? Or how does that translate to the tactics of selling a property or buying a property? Well, I think they listen better okay. than I would say mm-hmm. maybe other people do. Instead mm-hmm. of really thinking that it's going to be their bottom line, they more think about how can they serve that client. So. And like I said, if you care about the people first, the bottom line will come. We care about our agents, our employees, and uh, we have 60 employees. We have 430 agents. The Mm -hmm. agents are independent contractors, strictly commissioned. So we we spend a lot of time thinking, how can we help them be successful? What tools can we give them? What education can we give them? Now, because they're 1099 agents, do you treat them differently than the employees, or is it pretty much the same? It's pretty much the same, I would think, yes. We have some perks for our employees that maybe we don't extend to the agents, but they have perks that the employees don't have. Okay. Right. So it's one, but it's one big team. So when you think of culture, it's not just the employees. It's all those agents that interface with your clients. Right. Right. I've often had an agent say to me, this feels like a family. feels like I'm so accepted and cared for and... I'm listened to, and I feel like what I have to say is important. And we do listen to our agents just as we listen to our clients. We Mm -hmm. listen to our employees. Mm -hmm. But I think listening would be, and and serving, uh, leading from the heart would be another thing. And Mm -hmm. they learn to do that, too. As they Mm -hmm. have a servant's heart, they're also leading. They're really listening to what their needs are. And sometimes the client does not know exactly what their needs are. So, all right, let me ask sort of a contrary question for a second. Leading from the heart. Now, how does that work when you're in a tough negotiation on behalf of a customer? Or how does leading from the heart work when you have an employee that, or an agent that isn't making their performance targets? How do you apply that culture to very tough business decisions? 
Well, I'd have to think about that question for a while because it's so inbred that I'm not sure I've identified what it is. <laughs> right. Okay. But, uh, for example, when I'm interviewing somebody that wants to be in the business, you know, I can ask certain questions that I really want to know what makes them tick, you know, because People will interview sometimes and say what you want them to say. And I want to get beneath that. I want to see if they have, if I feel like the, their value system will match up to ours, mm-hmm. if they will appreciate the culture that mm-hmm. we have, an environment that mm-hmm. we've created. Because it's not a one-size-fits-all, and mm-hmm. so it they may not be the right person. Mm-hmm. If we have an employee say that we have to terminate, that is when your value system really shines or right. doesn't shine. And we we like to do it in the nicest, most dignified way we can because mm-hmm. we want to accept some of the some of the blame really for hiring someone that didn't right. make it. Maybe we didn't check it out well enough. Right. We weren't as right. didn't do our due diligence quite as well. So we take mm-hmm. some blame for that. Mm-hmm. I've even been known to help them find another job. But we certainly give them an ample amount of servants, severance pay and mm-hmm. you know, keep their insurance till they can find a job and right. you know, just do everything we can to help to help that person gotcha. if employed. So it's very caring in terms of the transition right. that that employee person has to make. So right. Now, so back to Jane Prude Associates from 1988 to 2001. Uh, obviously, you had a tremendous track record because you were very successful in the sale to Berkshire Hathaway. But share with our listeners, what were some of your obstacles or challenges along those many years, and what did you learn from those? Or was it pretty much smooth sailing? Did it just everything go on a straight line? Well, we or? had two declines. Uh, I won't call them recessions, but two economic corrections between right. 88 and 2001. So the first six years, we survived with mm-hmm. Jenny Pruitt and Associates, but mm-hmm. we really didn't hit the ground running like we wanted to till about 1996. Okay. And I can remember in the early 80s, that we were selling real estate at 21% interest rate. Mm-hmm. So you see, I feel like wow. that a client should be up standing outside my door, <laughs> knocking on the door to right. buy some real estate. Right. <laughs> Think of what the interest rates are today. Right. And so I've seen them in really tough times. And then the interest rates were during 88 and 96, they mm-hmm. were double digit or just below double digit, like 9%. Wow. So we've had some great years of great interest rates, and they're still very good. But, you know, in owning a business, you always have challenges. It's never just a smooth sailing. Straight line. Yes. Right Right now, we are in good real estate times, especially in Atlanta. But right now, our problems might be low inventory, Mm -hmm. lots of demand, but not as much supply Mm -hmm. in certain price ranges in certain areas. But you just learn how to cope with them. And I have always said, my favorite verse for running a business is in 16.3, and it's called, Commit Your Work to the Lord, and Your Plans mm-hmm. Will Succeed. 16.3. Yeah. Commit Your Work to the Lord, and Your Plans Will Succeed. And I've always gone by that, whether it's committing my children or my marriage, of which I just celebrated 50 years of marriage, and I'm the most proud of that this past year. And I like to commit everything to him and then ask for his wisdom and his guidance on every decision that I make. So the challenges during that period were more macroeconomic 
in the market interest rates, housing prices, Why? and so forth. And you got yourself through that, I guess, in part be- with your spiritual strength, your faith. Is that right? And that's, that's when right. you became, you, there was an intersection in your life and your journey where the personal faith helped your professional, your professional objectives and career, your mission. You were executing your mission, which you said the Lord had blessed you with your skills in the marketplace, and you were using that faith and the prayer to get you through those times. Being a servant leader, is that a way of summarizing Yes, that's yeah. right. Okay. But, you know, I've had adversities in life. I can remember the very first adversity at age 12. Uh, my father had died uh, when we were very young, and my mother was having a very tough time raising us. And I like to say I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth, in my mouth but it soon tarnished. And so we were having a hard time, and we were living with relatives, and I thought at one time that my brother and sister and I were going to be in an orphanage mm-hmm. with different foster families. So that was really the first time that I guess at a young age that I cried out to the Lord for his help. And I felt as though that at that moment that I was not alone, mm-hmm. that he was walking beside me. Mm-hmm. So we got through that. And you, know, and you were how old then? Twelve. Twelve, okay. And my sister was ten, mm-hmm. and my brother was younger than that. Mm-hmm. So it would have been difficult to be separated from each other. And so then, you know, small challenges, but I think that the next big challenge would be that my first marriage for three years was with an abusive husband. And I had a small child, so mm-hmm. that was very difficult to right. go through. Right. And then uh, the valley of cancer 21 years ago. And a verse that really got me through that cancer battle was in Psalms 23 4 when it says, Even when I walk the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. That verse got me through that, and Mm -hmm. I'm very thankful. That was 21 years ago. Wow. And then in 2007, I had my contract of five years was up with the company that had bought our company, had bought Jenny Pruitt and Associates. Mm -hmm. And we started a new company in 07 and did everything to the letter. My contract said that when five years was up and I was no longer there, that I was free to do whatever I wanted to in the business world, as long as I didn't use Jenny Pruitt in the name of the business. Mm -hmm. Everything else was okay. But then we started the company in May 07, and we didn't realize that the market was going to tank, the economy was going to tank later that year. And one month after we'd started the company, we were sued by our former company. So that was a very difficult and dark valley Mm -hmm. to walk through. And I like to say that the verse that really got me through that was in Second Chronicles 2015. And this is what the Lord says, Do not be afraid, don't be discouraged, for this mighty army, by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Mm-hmm. And I hung on to that verse because for a year we were funding a new company and writing checks every single month to the law firm that was uh, representing us. Right. But we won everything that we needed to win. They just really wanted to slow us down, and they wanted to uh, use up our funds that we couldn't put in the business. Right. But, you know, right. in a year we won the summary judgment. And, and what we, year was that, the summary judgment winning? Uh, in 2008. So they sued us in 2007 and wow. 2008. Right in the middle of the crash. Right. Yeah. And then it was still tough for another three or four years. Right. And there were times that we thought that we were going to have to figure out an exit strategy, but we just mm-hmm. we hung in there. And then the last quarter, of 2010, we made a small profit, and we thought, okay, mm-hmm. the tide has turned. turned. 
So in 11 and 12, we caught up. We've never had debt in our company, so we're excited that we did not have a lot of debt to pay off. And we have really, really done well in the last couple of years, closing. Was your challenge, uh, was your culture challenged at all during these very, very tough times? 08 was the crash. You're in this horrible lawsuit with your former buyer. Did it put a challenge on leading with the heart and servant leadership when you've got that much stress, both financial and personal? I would say it did, you know, because here's the problem. Uh, You can't let the troops know, so to speak, that you're worried or that you're concerned about all the money that's flying out the window. So that was the hard thing. And Mm -hmm. I had people say after those five years that we went through all that, that we would have never known that you and David were under any pressure, financial pressure, any Mm -hmm. stress. And Mm -hmm. I was thinking, oh, my goodness, that's the best compliment I have ever had because it was truly, you know, I always had a smile on my face. You just, you couldn't, you couldn't let people be discouraged because they, you know, working out there trying to survive in their own business. Right. So you couldn't let them know that the leaders of the company were the least bit concerned. Right. And I have to say that I have the most wonderful business partner. We worked together at the other company. We started this company together. He is my son-in-law, which is a very unusual. He's married to my oldest daughter. And we've worked together for 20 years. And uh-huh. we have the most unusual relationship. We've never had a disagreement in 20 years. That's awesome. So if I don't agree on something or he doesn't agree, we keep talking about it until we have a consensus. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever had to override anything because he's so smart, articulate, finance degree from Georgia State. So we complement each other. Uh, and he shares the same values, values. and leadership yes, style? Absolutely. We, we pray a lot about our decisions. Okay. Yes. What's a little different, though, about the second company is you have a strategic partner in Sotheby's. Could, you know, a lot of us in our industry have strategic partners. Could you comment on that partnership and how it came about and what the value add is? Then of well, Sotheby's? that is a partnership made in heaven. Sotheby's, I will just, okay. oh, I'll tell you that. Because you said Kim King was your, one of your well, best that was part- that partners. was the first one. This yeah. is the second okay. one, to give him all the credit for sure. But Sotheby's was looking for an affiliate, so mm-hmm. it's an affiliate. They don't make any of our decisions. They don't fund us in any way. Mm-hmm. It's an affiliation, more like a franchise franchisor mm-hmm. situation. Mm-hmm. But they are a very compelling brand. Mm-hmm. And so we really didn't want to just start another company, you know, just Atlanta Fine Homes. We mm-hmm. could have. Mm-hmm. It says where we are and what we sell. We're mm-hmm. in Atlanta, sell fine homes. But we really wanted somebody that uh, had an international brand that would carry us beyond the borders mm-hmm. of our city or state, mm-hmm. beyond the borders of the U.S., Okay. So they are in eighty different countries, and we so we we have we enjoy referrals from all these wonderful countries and from the cities in Atlanta. I mean, uh, in the United States, United States brokers and the international brokers. So we have a wonderful relationship, and I don't believe that we would have done it without such a relationship because their brand is so compelling internationally. And Especially. within the U.S., yeah. yes. In the U.S., mm-hmm. because they're international. So they're really opening new markets for you that you couldn't have done on your own. Right. In your prior business model when you were just Jenny Pruitt Associates. Right. Right. So we like to say we have global impact, but make local decisions. Okay. That's excellent. Yeah. So the lesson learned from that for our listeners is, what well, I mean, how would you coach our, our listeners in picking a partner, a strategic partner like a Sotheby's? What... What should we look for? 
Well, you should look for the fact that the way you want to run your business is alike Mm -hmm. and that they understand Mm -hmm. that you are the expert in this town Mm -hmm. and that you know how that one size doesn't fit all. Mm -hmm. So we promise them uh, royalties off of every sale Mm -hmm. transaction and that we protect their brand, would protect their brand with signs and Mm -hmm. cards and marketing material. Mm -hmm. So that's what we've promised them. Mm -hmm. They have delivered in technology, branding, marketing, Mm -hmm. so many, so many wonderful ways. Referrals, Mm -hmm. yes. So we're, we have been a very happy camper. And that's translated into some really good financial results this year or yes. recently? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And the uh, last year we closed $2.4 billion, and this year we're on track to do that and a little better. And that's, that's a lot of homes. Yeah, that is. <laughs> and can you, do you track how much of that comes from the Sotheby's relationships, actually? Have you ever done that's that? That's very hard to quantify because okay. we're just kind of like um, mm-hmm. all in one. I right. mean, you know, we're, right, right, right. it's hard to quantify that. Right. Jenny, you've got some hobbies we've talked about in the past. One of them is uh, acrylic angels. Could you share with us, you know, how you got into that hobby and why you enjoy it so much? Well, I wanted to for therapy, have something that would keep me from just thinking real estate all the time. Right. So I don't know how I got this thought. Maybe mm-hmm. the Lord just dropped it in my conscience mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. But I thought, I'm, I'm going to paint. And, you know, there's an old saying that and everybody is an artist waiting to come out. So I didn't believe that. But I went to the – I didn't take a lesson or anything. I just went to the uh, art binders right. and got canvases and acrylic paints. And mm-hmm. I got acrylic paints because – oils take for hours and days to dry right and so i wanted to dry quick like go down and get a sandwich and walk back up and it's dry so i started and so then i thought what am i going to paint so Mm -hmm. i did one little contemporary piece and it was gorgeous colors and everything but i didn't get i didn't feel fulfilled and then it was just like it came into my being paint angels and so there was an artist in Charlotte, North Carolina. Her name is Ann Nielsen, mm-hmm. N-E-I-L-S-O-N, and she is fabulous. And I had one of her books of angels, and it kind of inspired me. So I got up, and I started painting the angels. And it was like the Lord was saying to me, paint those angels, Jenny, the angels that I sent that provided for you when you thought you were going to be an orphan. Right. And the angels I sent when you were in an abusive marriage mm-hmm. to protect you. And then the angels in the valley of cancer when I delivered you. And then paint those angels in that lawsuit when you thought you weren't going to make it. And I got you through it. Those are the angels I want you to paint. So now when I stand up there and I paint those angels, they come alive to me. And I'm amazed (laughs) at how many people Mm -hmm. want my angels. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't charge for them. I ask that if you want an angel, that you make a donation to... Atlanta Mission. Okay. Here in Atlanta. Atlanta Missions. Okay. It used to be Atlanta Union Mission. It's okay. Atlanta Mission. Yeah. So the angels became sort of a channel then for you to right. the spiritual strength that you needed to get through these valleys. Right. And I have a lot of charity them. people that call and say, "Will you give us an angel for an auction?" I'm amazed they're getting twelve hundred and fifteen hundred bidding. <laughs> right. For these angels. Wow. So they look more valuable to me now because. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
another hobby, uh, maybe it's not a hobby, but I know recently you published a book. Is writing becoming a new hobby? You, you've got a new book called Beneath His Wings, which kind of summarizes and tracks a lot of the, the valleys and mountains that you've had in your life. Is this writing? Is this a new hobby for no, you? No, it's not a no. new hobby. That's the first and the last one. <laughs> uh, the last one? Uh, Jenny, but your story's not over. I know it's not, but... His story's not over. You, you, you don't see yourself as an author? No. no, I had a co-author, and she was wonderful. It was a two-year project of love, uh-huh. labor of love. But, you know, I've told the story, and so I don't know. I didn't even think my story was that interesting. But mm-hmm. once we got it on paper, I thought, well, this could inspire and encourage right. people. Right. So that's really the reason I wrote it, so that people could be inspired in encouragement. I've been given the gift of encouragement. The Lord's given me the gift of encouragement and the gift of giving and serving. So this all kind of fit into what I think I'm all about. And it's gone to second printing, and I give those away. I don't charge for them. Mm -hmm. And any money that was made from Amazon went to either Samaritan's Purse, which Mm -hmm. is a part of the Billy Graham Association. Right. If your story's not over, how can this be your last book, Jenny? <laughs> You've got a lot going for you, I mean, with with this new company. We're all excited to see where this goes. Cause yeah, we celebrate our 10th anniversary this year. Okay. That was very and exciting. And you have no plans to retire or, you know, this is your mission, as you say. Right. Is that right? I never have understood what I'd be retiring from. Yeah. Because <laughs> I love what I do, and it's mentally stimulating. Uh-huh. and. Physically, I have to keep myself in shape, you know, mm-hmm. because I want to be—I want to be around. Right. So I think I'm just gonna stay in there, hang in there, and see, yeah, keep, see keep what in, happens. Keeping on, right? Keep on keeping on. We're gonna wrap it up, Jenny. Do you have any final kind of words of wisdom for our listeners here at Capital Club Radio? Believe in yourself. Believe in a greater power, and believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. Because God has given each of us different gifts, and I think it is so amazing how he knew that we would question how valuable we are. But just think about this. Every single one of us in the whole world of billions and billions Mm -hmm. of people have different fingerprints. Nobody has our fingerprint. (laughs) To me, that says, you are so special. Mm -hmm. I am so special that he can show us that we meant so much to him that Mm -hmm. he gave each one of us a different fingerprint. And I also like this. That it, it amazes me, if you get into God's Word, how much wisdom there is. And in Genesis, I love this because, and I like to, I say this when I go to women's talks, but I like to say this because it is so true. And each man has one less rib than the women do because God took a rib of Adam mm-hmm. and created Eve. Now, why should we ever question how great our God is. Mm -hmm. He could have taken something out of the head Uh or something out of the feet, Mm -hmm. but he took something out of the side so that we could walk side by side. Uh And when I tell that story, when I have talks for women, they always come up to me afterwards and they'll say, that is so true. I wish I'd have thought about that myself, but Uh now I see my role is different with my mate, my spouse, Mm -hmm. than I did before. So, you know, there's just, I'm excited about Every single day, and thankful and grateful, because I think that I think that God has not. He says in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, "I know the plans I have for you," says the Lord, "plans to give you a future and a hope, not to harm you." And so, I'm not sure that I even know the whole story yet. Right, it's not over. Yeah, 
It's so exciting. Over. And yes. we, we, we will stay tuned and track the, the future achievements and inspiration of Jenny Pruitt in the years ahead. And so, Jenny, thank you so much for these fascinating stories. Well, thank you um, again for inviting me. Today, I mean, this, how you grew from adversity, you used your passion and perseverance and prayer to overcome the obstacles which helped you create, you know, a terrific company and a terrific team with Atlanta Fine Homes and Sotheby. So thank you so much for your time today. We're very grateful for being a guest on Capital, Capital Cup Radio. Thank, thank you, Jenny you. Pruitt. Thank you. Thank you for joining Michael Flock and his guests on the Capital Club Radio Show. For more information on future interviews, please visit us at flockfinance.com. This program is brought to you by Flock Specialty Finance, where clients are provided knowledge and insights to help them grow their business in complex and risky markets. Flock is more than a transaction. Hey, you. Are you ready? Grab your pack, grab your tent, grab your gear. Jump in. We're going on an adventure. In Arizona, there's so much to see, so much to experience. At GCU, adventure is never too far away. Offering over 200 academic programs with a Christian worldview and nestled in the heart of Phoenix, you can earn your degree in fewer than four years and explore everything Arizona has to offer. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash azroadtrip.